How many of you have heard of Dave Ramsey or Larry Burkett? Yeah, okay. I think Doug wrote, raised both of his arms. <laughs> Doug's our treasurer, so he's like, yes, I know those guys. Um, Larry Burkett is with Crown Financial Ministries. Uh, both of these men spend uh, a l- much of their time teaching God's people biblical principles on how to handle money. And not just money, but really how to, to work through what God says about biblical financial stewardship. And so, you know, when we talk about stewardship, God is calling us to this idea of being able to manage well the resources that he has given us. And so stewardship isn't just a financial alone principle, but it's really a life principle. God has given us life and he's calling us to manage our lives under his direction well. He wants us to honor him uh, with who we are. Um, But to these men and, and For many people that have been impacted by their ministries, stewardship um, is one of those things that uh, reminds us that God is calling us to trust him with all that we have. In fact, they have a lot of good source material to work with. There are over 2,000 verses in the scriptures on how to manage our finances. That's a lot of verses. Uh, and, And so God cares a lot about how we manage those things. Now, one area that Dave Ramsey or Larry Burkett will constantly direct our attention to is the area of debt. Debt is a no-no. Whether it's the dangers of debt or paying down your debt or just general practicalities concerning it, debt can be a crippling yoke over us. And so they, they help us to see, you know, um, what the scriptures say. Like, what, this is a very familiar verse in Proverbs, um, Proverbs 22, verse 7. The rich rules over the poor and the borrower becomes the lender's slave. And so this idea that if you're in debt to someone, you know, there's this yoke over you and, and it can be this controlling kind of thing. And so they encourage us, you know, to be careful in, in, in the debt uh, relationships that we have. You know, I don't know many people that were able to buy all their vehicles and their house and all these things with cash on the barrel. So, you know, they're not saying that debt is, any debt is terrible. What they're saying is be careful with how much debt you accumulate. And so, you know, just thinking through some of those things, because when debt hangs over us, especially unmanageable debt or debt in items or things that depreciate in value, you're always in this constant cycle of paying more for something than what it's really worth. And when that, when you have that over you, it consumes you. It consumes every area of your lives, what you think about, how you use your time, how you're able to live, because you're constantly trying to keep up. Now, unless you're the federal government, Debt can be this crippling thing. I, I don't want to scare you this morning, but this is the federal debt calculator clock. I don't know if you see the U.S. national debt in the upper left corner. This is real time. So red is bad. Red is stop. <laughs> Green, the revenue on the top left 
um, or top right, I'm sorry, um, is for whatever. I, I don't even know, is that a millions, billions, four trillion. And this is 28 trillion. Something is not equal there. Um, so, this morning, though, <laughs> as you have this thought, like heavy thought cast over you this morning, this morning we're going to touch a bit on financial stewardship, but it's not really the focus of the text. It's the object lesson, it's the backdrop, it's the picture of what Paul is wanting to teach us. Don't worry, I'm not going to leave this up the whole sermon. Um, <laughs> Financial stewardship is used to paint a picture for us of something far greater. Within the context, we're going to uncover something about debt that can truly never be satisfied. There is a debt that we really can never pay off. And that is the backdrop of what Paul's going to invite us to see this morning as we look at the text in Romans chapter 13. But if we understand the debt that Paul is going to talk about this morning, if we understand it properly, it will consume every area of our lives. It will consume what we think about, how we use our time, and how we are able to live. What we will see in principle seems to go against all the advice from those who teach on stewardship. You know, biblical financial stewardship says pay down your debt, pay off your debt, don't be a slave to anyone. And what Paul says this morning is that there is a debt that we can never repay. And so we're going to be enslaved to this debt, at least we should be. Debt creates pressure and nobody likes pressure. The debt that we have this morning that we will never repay is the debt to love everyone. It's a debt that we all owe to love others. Okay, take a breath. It's gone. You'll never reach the place where you can say, now I love others as much as I ought to. You're never going to get there this side of heaven. You're always going to be working on increasing your ability to pay off the debt to love other people. No matter how long you've been a Christian, no matter how much you've grown as a believer, you still have room to grow in your love for others. As I was thinking through just what Paul says here in three simple verses in Romans 13, I I was very convicted in my own spirit of just how hard it is to love people sometimes. Isn't it? And if if you're not agreeing with me, you're lying. (laughs) (laughs) Brian, what did you say before, when you asked people to greet each other? God loves you and I'm trying. <laughs> Love can be difficult sometimes, especially within the context of the people that we know that we should love the most. 
But then there are the people that we really don't know. We just know about them. And we disagree with them. And then there's the people that we really don't know at all. But what we do know greatly concerns us. They might be enemies of God. They might be people who are willfully standing against the things that we care about. And the scriptures call us to love. To love everyone. To pay that debt that we will never be able to pay off. This seems really hard sometimes. I'm just going to be honest with you. But Paul isn't saying anything that's brand new. The scriptures in the Old Testament and in the New Testament call us to this kind of love again and again. What Paul calls us to consider in the debt of love within the context of what it means to live for Jesus is foundational to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Like We're not talking about okay, when I get there later in my sanctification, I can finally start working on these things. We're talking like bedrock foundational kind of principles that because of Jesus, this is who we are and this is how we live. And no matter how hard it may be or how difficult or how impossible it seems, these are things that we need to understand, not just in our minds, but we need to live in our hearts because to be a follower of Jesus means this is who we are. Another thing that we're going to see this morning is that to love this way, though, while it seems impossible at times, like it really does, at least for me, and, and maybe I'm the only one that's struggling with this, but what I've seen in this passage as just kind of studying, meditating through it, those kind of things, while it seems impossible, it's really easy. It really is. And I love how God provides and, and shows us how seemingly impossible things are not impossible with him. We have a great example in our Savior. He set a great example for us, and we have lots of practice in the way that we live. There's hope for this. There's hope to be able to love the way that, that Paul calls us to love this morning. And, and, and when I was talking about those difficult people, difficult situations that have come up in life, I, I'm sure you thought of specific people. And I want you to keep those people in your mind throughout this sermon. I want you to think about those times that you've been wounded or hurt by the actions of people or challenged in the way that certain people react to certain things and you know they, 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 they cause the hair on the back of your neck to stand up or they cause you to get frustrated and say, oh, here they go again. I want you to be thinking about those people um, and I want you to ask God throughout this service as we're talking about this idea of paying down that debt that we can never pay off to love. I want you to ask God to give you the help to see those people in that way. See, what Paul is writing here 
in Romans 13 is what a lost and hurting world desperately needs to see. Church, if we live this way, if we truly are the people that God is calling us to be here, think about what our community, how our relationships would be. Just think about the impact we would have on the world around us if we truly love the, the way that God wants us to love. I mean, far too often the world that we live in knows what we in the church stand against. We're good at that. We can get on our soapboxes and say, that's wrong and we should be doing this and you know, all those things that say, this is who we are, and that's who you are. And yet, everything that Paul says here invites us to step closer and to love more. And then we begin to see that the world around us does change. Because darkness is affected by light. And when darkness is affected by light, the darkness scatters. And so let's read together. I'm going to read for you in Romans 13, beginning in verse 8. I'm going to read through verse 10. This is what the Apostle Paul writes. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for these moments in, in the text of Scripture. and We're grateful that you speak so clearly to us. We confess that your words challenge us. And so we pray in these moments ahead of us, we pray that your spirit would teach us, that we would be ready to receive your word with eagerness, and with a commitment to live it out. May we honor you as we not just react to the word. May we honor you with our lives in response to the love that you have shown us. And so, Father, we're grateful that we have a great example in our Savior. We thank you, Jesus for dying on the cross for us, for laying your life down so that we could find freedom and peace and forgiveness. Now work in a mighty way, and we'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. And so verse 8 begins with a bit of financial stewardship. Owe nothing to anyone. Now this phrase, owe nothing to anyone, 
I think, largely has been misunderstood in the Christian community. Uh, largely due to the fact that the translation can be a bit misleading. The, the New American Standard, which is the translation that I'm teaching out of, says, owe nothing to anyone. And, and sometimes we have taken this, this view of this verse, this translation of this verse, and, and we have thought that any kind of owing, any kind of loans, any kind of anything at this level is forbidden. Owe nothing to anyone. So I can never have an outstanding debt for any reason ever. That's what we sometimes think. But that's not what the New Testament teaches. It's not what the scriptures teach. It's not what Jesus himself said. In Matthew 5, 42, Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. Borrowing is not always wrong. The practice of Charging exorbitant interest is what is wrong. You know, it'd be like saying if your neighbor or if someone, a friend comes to you or an acquaintance says, hey, I need $100 for such and such. And you say, okay, I have $100. I can let you borrow it. Um, but there is 40% interest. <laughs> you know, it's that kind of thing. I'm going to read some scriptures off to you. I'm not going to read the verses, but just to give you a kind of a context kind of thing. Exodus 22, 25, Leviticus 25, 35 through 37, Deuteronomy 15, verses 7 through 9. And there are other places are guarding the, the, the scriptures are teaching that we need to be careful not to enact heavy interest loans. Basically to get more out of people than what we should and so if you have a mortgage or a car payment or, you know, anything like that, maybe take the sigh of relief. Um, you know, you're, you're not in sin. Now, when I was a young man, um, I think about this sometimes and just think, oh, thank you, Lord, for your grace. When I was a young man in college, I've, you know, I was a young, let me add to this, when I was a young poor man in college, um, <clears throat> I worked at a church. I was the, the part-time youth leader at a church. And um, my, my bank was 250 miles away. Uh, it was, you know, I was in Philadelphia. My bank was in Johnstown, Pennsylvania. Um, it, it was hard to make it to the bank. So they started giving me a check. And so I, I got my first check. And you might remember this. Um, our college campus... Um, was in one area of Langhorne, Pennsylvania, and right down the road were the dorms, like you, you drove about a half a mile or so out of campus to go to where the dorms were for the upperclassmen, and, and so we had these apartments that we stayed in, and along the way there was this place called Guns and Things. Literally, that's the name of the place. It's no longer there, Guns and Things. They had the sign on it, check cashing. And I thought, well, I don't have a bank account. I have this check. I'll go in there. And no lie. Like, I was young. Just give me that. There should have been a lot of red flags. Um, there was like, I don't know, 
10-inch bulletproof glass between like where you stood and where the teller was. They literally took my picture, like this, uh, this old Cold War era camera that like, you know, hey, stand here and look. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> click. And I'm like, oh boy, I'm on the dark web somewhere now. <laughs> and, and so I cashed my check, but they took a large sum of it as a fee. I immediately left there, walked across the street, and opened a bank account at the bank. (laughs) But it was that kind of thing. And, you know, it's just this idea that, you know, we learn lessons in life. Um, I I would encourage you when it comes to financial stewardship, because we're going to move on from financial stewardship, that if you're in a place where you're needing to learn more about what God says, take that step of faith, because you don't want to be a slave. To the lender. There, God gives a lot of good resources. It might, it's going to take a lot of sacrifice to take that step, but God will honor that. So I believe that at the heart of what Paul says in Romans 13 verse 8, isn't Paul forbidding owing, but the NIV, the New International Version translation, I think helps us understand more of what Paul is writing here. Um, the NIV translates verse 8 let no debt remain outstanding let no debt remain outstanding except to love and what that means is you're paying off your debts you know you're not accruing all this um, debt and then skipping town kind of attitude or like hey I'm not going to pay that off There's a plan and purpose for, for that in our lives. And so with that backdrop, let no debt remain outstanding, Paul says, except to love one another. That is the debt that cannot be paid fully. Within the context of what Paul is teaching is that we all have a debt to see the welfare or to care for the welfare of other human beings. All of us as followers of Jesus, have a debt for the welfare and the care of other human beings. We are to love one another. Now, some think that Paul is referring to only those in the church. And wouldn't that be easy, right? Love those that love you. Uh, that's what John wrote in First John, and Jesus talked about it. You know, what is it if you only love those that are loving you? I don't think that's exactly what Paul is referring to, though. I mean, we just left in Romans chapter 12 a large portion of Scripture that told us how we should view those outside of the church. And in no way did Paul say, we build up walls and we avoid them and we say, you're terrible and I got it figured out. No, he says, hey, leave vengeance in God's hands. You know, show up in people's lives even when they persecute you. Two weeks ago, we even looked at our response to the civil authorities. And I'm not saying the civil authorities are our enemies, but what I'm saying is, The context moves from those outside of the church and how we live in in a world where there's authority over us. And, And now Paul invites us to this charge to love one another. 
I think it includes those in the church. And can I just say, if you're a part of God's family, you should love other people in God's family. I would love to say that we're really good at this. But that's why God makes provision for forgiveness, reconciliation, and restoration. Right? Doesn't God do that? Doesn't God see into our hearts and know the challenges we face? And, and he speaks into those areas and he says, listen, I know it's going to be hard living with people just like you. And so I'm going to help you along the way and I'm going to show you the example and give you the model and, and, and remind you of what it means to, to live with people just like you. And please don't take that in the positive way. We have a debt to everyone. And it is to love them. I believe it includes those in the church, but also those outside of the church. Now, before we get too far into this discussion about loving others, uh, we need to ask the question, what is love? Some of you are already singing that song from 1993 by the band Hathaway. Some of you are like, what are you talking about? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. No more. Look it up on YouTube. <laughs> Jeff, you know what I'm talking about. Thanks. So, But love in the New Testament context refers to selfless, sacrificial action. It is rooted in the ability to consider the needs of others, should be others, higher than your own, and seek ways to serve them. Biblical love is sacrificial. Biblical love costs you something. Biblical love moves you from sentimental, ooey kind of feelings of, I love you, to actual movement into someone's life, where it's going to cost you how you use your time, where you spend your resources, what you do on, on behalf of somebody else. Biblical New Testament love leans in and seeks those who are cast out and doesn't expect anything in return. This kind of love gives and gives and gives. When we were in Romans 12 a few weeks ago, I finished one of those messages by reading 1 Corinthians 13. That's the picture of love. That it doesn't keep a record of wrongs. That it's gracious. And it's this kind of love that we are called to have for each other and for those that do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. This kind of love is the antithesis of the kind of love that the world projects. It's very easy for us to see the difference of the love because before we became a follower of Jesus, that was the kind of love that our heart was directed towards. Selfless love, me love, what can I get out of it? Will they meet my needs? All those kinds of things. And, and oh, by the way, you know, I'm not saying that we're completely terrible at this. If we find someone that loves us, we will usually reciprocate in certain circumstances. But the world has this drumbeat of life is all about me, me, me. And when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, what we realize is life is not about me, 
but it's all about him. And when we find ourselves walking in the shadow of a savior that came to this earth and left everything in heaven so that he could die on the cross for us. And he becomes our example of what it means to love. Then we begin to understand the commitment and the sacrifice and the cost involved. To follow the command here in Romans 13 to love means that we must set our eyes and affix our hearts on the example of Jesus. When you see love in the scriptures, I pray that your mind just fills with the examples of how Jesus showed love in the scriptures. Like that is where we go when we are called to love one another, love each other, love our enemies. That it's not this arbitrary kind of mindless thought of, well, you know, I think I should like them or we should get along or we should be able to hug it out if we have disagreements. No, we should be thinking about Jesus. We should be considering what he did, how he lived, and we should be asking ourselves, am I following his example and how he walked on this earth as I seek to love those who apart from anything of themselves are really unlovable? Like, that's where we came from. There's nothing good in us. There's nothing that would make me feel like, okay, this is why God loves me. If I'm honest with myself and I look at my track record and where I came from, I'd be able to say, you know, if I was on the other side, I probably wouldn't love me either. And yet God does. And that, that, that might be something else that some of you need to hear this morning because we're going to see in this passage the, the root and basis of love is that God assumes that we love ourselves really well. Love our neighbor as ourselves. But here's the problem. Some of you may be struggling with even loving yourself pretty well because of circumstances that are out of your hands. Nobody that really poured into your life the way that they should have. And I would just encourage you to see that when you look to Jesus and you consider his work on the cross for you, it was because of love that he came, that he wants you to be with him. Biblical love is so monumental, so countercultural, so anti-world, so, but it is so close to the heart of God that Jesus said it is this kind of love that will show the difference to a world around us of why Jesus came in the first place. Jesus told his disciples in John 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. How many of us have, I hope, 
haven't experienced this personally, but have heard of like churches erupting in all sorts of chaos and confusion. Like they disagree and they don't like each other and the police are called at church business meetings because they're voting on the color of the carpet and this person wants red and they want green and it's like, hey, we're, gonna, we're at odds with each other. And then the world watches those disciples and think, well, I don't want to be a part of that. But what Jesus says for true followers, to love him and to love one another even as equal to, as a result of, the, the cross, we are a testimony to the world around us. Like there should be people that as a result of who they know us to be as followers of Jesus here say, you know what? I don't know exactly know what you believe. I don't exactly know the God that you talk about, but I see something in you and how you care for each other, how you love each other, how you serve each other that makes me want to lean in to know more. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, if you have received the love of Jesus in your life, if you are a follower of Jesus, you will be able to love others. You will be. Let me say that again. You will be. Not you might be able to, or you're better off figuring it out, you will be able to love others. Because when you became a follower of Jesus, God gave you himself, the Holy Spirit, to live inside of you. And when the Holy Spirit came into your life, the Holy Spirit creates in us the opportunity to be able to live a life pleasing to God. And the Holy Spirit produces fruit in the believer's life. And if you've ever been around, if, let me say it this way, if you've been around the church long enough, you've probably heard of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And some of you are already rattling off what the fruit of the Spirit is. But what is the first fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is love. And so if you're sitting here this morning and say, man, those people are impossible. There's no way I can love them. Yes, you can. If you know Jesus Christ, you have God's Spirit in you, and He will produce the fruit of love, the fruit of the Spirit. It's not an accident that the first fruit of the Spirit is love. It shows up first as the primary result of what the Holy Spirit cultivates in the life of the believer that is trusting in Jesus Christ. So Paul adds in verse 8, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Now this was written to a church 2,000 years ago that was made up of a large group of people that came from a Jewish background. Paul was driving home the point that keeping rules is not what life with God is all about. It's not about following all the, the minutia of the Old Testament. In fact, the Old Testament was given to show us that we can't follow all of the rules. And so God makes a way. 
He shows us our inability and he says, listen, you are unable, but you are now more than able based on what my son Jesus has done for you. We keep the commands in a general way that if we love others, we keep the law. Breaking God's law invariably reveals that we are not loving our neighbor. When we don't keep God's law, and you might say, well, we're in the New Testament age. We're not called to keep the law. But there's a lot of things in the Old Testament that show up in the New Testament, right? It's not, this isn't like head-scratching kind of things. I'm not turning into faith into this legalistic pursuit. But what I'm saying is, when we don't follow God's word, we are likely harming not only ourselves, but those around us. That's what Paul's point is. And so to show us this, Paul takes us in verse 9 back to the Ten Commandments, like the start of the law. Verse 9, for this you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so he gives us four examples. The first four come right from what we call the Decalogue. The first ten commandments. If you remember the story in Exodus, as Moses received the ten commandments, he received them on tablets, right? And there's two tablets. And you have in the first four commandments that God gives Moses about what it means to be in a relationship with God, commandments that focus on our vertical relationship with God. That there is only one God, that there is no idols, that we should not take the Lord's name in vain, and that we should rest. But then you have six commandments, the the rest of the ten commandments, that focus on the horizontal relationship that we have with other people. And Paul mentions four of them here. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. He specifically highlights the seventh, sixth, eighth, and tenth commandments. When we love our neighbors, we get to the heart of why God wrote the law in the first place. God gave the law to govern our relationship with him and others, ultimately showing us that we are not law keepers, but law breakers in desperate need of forgiveness and healing. And so we need to know that loving our neighbors doesn't mean that we're keeping all the rules. It means that we're following God who set the rules. And we're seeking to please him and honor him. And when I was reading these verses in preparation, my mind instantly went to what Jesus said in Mark 12, 29. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 12, when Paul gave those four examples, he says, listen, there's these four examples, but then there's also this summary statement. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. In Mark 12, as Jesus is ministering on the earth, We see in verse 29, well, let me back up to verse 28. One of the scribes, and the scribes were the people that, they were keepers of the law, right? They were like the experts of the law. 
One of the scribes came and heard them arguing. Jesus was arguing with the religious leaders. And one of these scribes came and heard them arguing and recognizing that he, Jesus, had answered them well, asked him, what commandment is the foremost of all? What a great question. Because if you're wanting to know what the greatest commandment of all the commandments, and there were 613 commandments, but if you're wanting to know, you're going to want to ask the one who wrote the commandment, Jesus. So what is the greatest commandment of all? And Jesus answered in verse 29, for the foremost is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. That, that is what in the Old Testament was referred to as the Shema. It was this summary statement of what it meant to, to know God and to follow him, to love the Lord your God with all that you are. But Jesus doesn't stop there. And he says the second is this. It's interesting to me because the scribe doesn't ask Jesus, can you give me the top two? He says, give me the foremost. And Jesus understood, yes, there is a primary commandment. And yes, there is a secondary commandment that is so close to the primary commandment that when you keep the first, you have to keep the second to keep the first. And he says that in the second one, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So out of the 613 commands in the Old Testament, there is no other ranking. It's just these two. All the other commandments fit into the greatest commandment or the second greatest commandment. And that is for us as followers of God to understand. And so Jesus answers perfectly that the law of God. And I would say this, I would go a step further uh, and, 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 you know, I, I don't think this is an unorthodox statement, but we're talking about law, Old Testament stuff. Let's bring the New Testament into this, that the fulfillment of living out God's word, complete, Old and New Testament, is summarized in our relationship with God vertically to love him completely. And it's also uh, lived out in the way that we care for others and loving each other as we love ourselves. Now that sounds like what Paul wrote in Romans 13. Jesus and Paul both quote Leviticus 19.18 when they say, love your neighbor as yourself. That was written in to the Old Testament. It was the understanding of followers of God to love people like you love yourself. This is what God knows about us. We're really good at loving ourselves. And so he says, as you love yourself, love other people. Some of you love yourself more than others. But we're really good at loving ourselves. We are. It's not a bad thing to love yourself in and of itself. But it becomes sin when we love ourselves above God and other people. When we elevate me over all things, that is where the problem comes in. 
And so to guide us, God calls us to love our neighbors the same way we would love ourselves. Jesus doesn't say, love your neighbor as yourself. And oh, by the way, it's wrong to love yourself. He says, listen, you love yourself really well, so love other people as you love yourself in the same way. That really puts a focused perspective on what love looks like. We, in loving ourselves, will pursue the things that are necessary to live and to thrive. We, we take care of ourselves. And Paul, and more importantly, Jesus, tells other, us to love others this way. And then Paul writes in verse 10, Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Paul has already argued that love is doing good to and for others. Here he restates it as a negative. Love does no wrong. The word wrong means that which is evil, wrong, or bad. Listen, love which is a selfless action seeks the good of the person that you're showing love to. Love that is a selfless action seeks the highest good in the person that you are loving. Love is not, as Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13, act selfishly or keep a record of wrongs. As stated in verse 8, love truly is the fulfillment of the law. So here's the question. How often do we truly love this way? In the church, let's start there. You know, when people disagree with you or hurt you or disappoint you. How often do we truly love this way? That we lean in. That we pursue. That we follow the example of Jesus. And then we have the world. How often do we love the world this way? It's hard to love a world when we already have a very low expectation of them, right? If love is a debt that we can never repay, we must remember that the perfect example of love that comes from Jesus himself was that he was willing to love us by dying on the cross even while we were yet sinners. Aren't you glad that Jesus loved you in the mess of your sin? And as he has loved you, love others. When you struggle to know how to love, look to Jesus Read the Gospels. See how he interacted with tax collectors and sinners. See how he showed compassion to those who were cast off like prostitutes. See how he pursued those who were forgotten by society. See how he answered the questions asked by those who were seeking. And he permitted the sick and the lame to come to him. Consider how he wept over Jerusalem as he knew what was going to take place as he entered that city. 
And consider the forgiveness that he offered while he was dying on the cross for his accusers who murdered him. In short, consider him. The question that Paul asks in Romans 13 is, are you paying your debts? Are you working at paying the debt that you will always owe? The debt for love of others. And are you making the effort to sacrifice your comfort and your convenience to meet the highest good of other people? Love's aim is our neighbor's highest good. And that highest good is that they would know Christ and be conformed to him. Now, in all this talk of love and love for the world and love of sinners, understand this. Love doesn't mean accepting everything that everyone does. Well, I love you, so you just keep doing that and I'll love you. Love also brings a warning. But if you don't stop in this trajectory, you're going to be separated from God forever. And the highest good for you is to be joined with Him and be forgiven. It's going to take effort. But we owe such love to them, both in good deeds and in sharing the gospel as the opportunities arise. So let's pray. Father, would you?